Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Rick and Joni Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605 692 1430. 605 692 1430. We have a special guest with us today. I'm so happy. We have Dr. Taylor Knipe in the studio today. Dr. Knipe is an optometrist with Yorkshire Eye Clinic and Optical. Good morning, Dr. Knipe. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up here in Brookings practicing optometry. Yeah, so I'm a South Dakota guy. I was born in Sioux Falls, um, went to school at O'Gorman High School down in Sioux Falls, and then I chose to go to school for the good guys. I was a jackrabbit. I got a degree in biology here in Brookings. Kind of decided during my time at SDSU that I wanted to go into optometry. And there's not a lot of optometry schools around here. And so as I started looking at schools, the closest ones were St. Louis and Chicago. And me and my fiance at the time, now wife, were like, you know, if we're going to go somewhere, let's go somewhere or we can be warm for a little bit. And so we ended up going down to Arizona. And so I was uh, down in Arizona for four years going through optometry school down there. And we kind of knew when we moved down there that we wanted to be closer to home, closer to family. And so um, as the time came closer to graduation, we kind of started looking at opportunities to move back home. And this uh, position was open at Yorkshire Eye Clinic. And we both kind of talked about it. We're like, you know, we never really considered moving back to Brookings. We thought we'd end up in Sioux Falls. Um, But we loved Brookings. And so now we wouldn't move anywhere else. We Sioux Falls is the big city and we don't want to spend more time in Sioux Falls driving in that traffic than we have to. And so uh, we've been here in in Brookings now for about four years, which is kind of crazy how fast time flies. But Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of our journey to get here. And so I've been over at Yorkshire Eye Clinic, uh, which is a wing of Brookings Health System for almost four years now. Yeah, excellent. Well, we're happy to have you here yeah. in town. And tell us about your tell us about your family quick, too. Yeah, so like I said, I'm married. I, uh, me and my wife went to high school together, so we were <laughs> high school sweethearts. Okay. Um, both went to SDSU, got married right before I started optometry school. Um, and we had our son down in Arizona. He's six. His name's Theodore. Uh, and then we have a daughter who's two. Her name's Eleanor. Um, and so we have a, a fun little family. They keep us busy for sure. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. We have sort of a similar story. Andrew uh, went to Boise, Idaho for oh, his yeah. residency. And it was just fun for us too, knowing we wanted to probably come back to this area to be close to family for the long haul, to yep. go live somewhere else, experience something different and try something new. So that's fun that you got to do that in uh, Arizona as well. Yeah, and I always joke, um, I have patients all the time ask me about my last name. So Kenite means a little bit, uh, people know the Kenite name a little bit more around here than they they do in Sioux Falls or especially Arizona. But um, so people are always asking how I'm related to the the old governor and stuff. And that's my great uncle. Um, But I always joke that there used to be a lot of Kenites running around. And so I had to bring a few more back just to 
level it out because there's not as many around as there used to be. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> perfect. That's fun. Excellent. Well, we're really happy to have you here this morning. If our listeners have any questions related to optometry, now would be a great time to give us a call at 605 605- 692-1430. So if you have a question related to optometry, go ahead and give us a call. Dr. Knipe, as we are preparing for today, we learned that March is Save Your Vision Month and Workplace Eye Wellness Month. We're how fun, right? Yeah, to right. Focus on some of these important topics. Yeah. I love it. So let's talk about the Save Your Vision Month. What What are some things that you think are important for us to remember or consider when we want to make sure we're protecting our vision? Yeah, so when I found out that it was Save Your Vision Month, um, kind of what that means to me is the importance of regular eye exams, kind of those preventative type of eye exams and how that fits into your preventative wellness in general. So you go in for your physical and I think uh, an eye exam kind of fits in that realm of your healthcare. And um, there's a lot of eye conditions that we pick up on exams that you don't have a lot of symptoms from until possibly those changes are irreversible. And so if we can find those changes and implement treatments or therapies um, before it causes bad changes, that's kind of what we prefer. Um, and so you see all these online things about, you can go and get your glasses online or or whatever. And that doesn't really replace a a complete eye exam because at every eye exam, we're measuring the pressure, which a lot of people don't necessarily like. That's people think of it, the air puff when we talk about pressure in the eyes. Um, and so we measure the pressure, which is a good check for glaucoma. We look at the health of the eye from the inside out. So the, the nerve that connects your eyes and your brain the macula, which is where we look for signs of macular degeneration, the lens in the eye, which is where cataracts are, and then even the surface of the eye for signs of dryness and some of the other eye conditions that can affect the eye. So when I think of Savior Vision Month, it, it kind of, to me, it's the importance of those checks to make sure that we're not missing something or that by the time you come in and think that your vision is is starting to get worse that it's not something serious going on. Sure. Yeah. Catch things early. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, often when we're in for those annual exams, you may ask about dilating our eyes mm-hmm. or sometimes there's even like special cameras, I think, to yeah. look at. Tell us more about, because I feel like sometimes we get the choice. Like, yeah. are you okay with us doing I'm like, I don't know. Am I okay? So tell us about what your what your goals are with some of those tools and yeah, what so that I, helps you I would with. say between the, the puff of air and dilation, <laughs> sometimes yes. that's like, people's big bugaboo about coming in for eye exams. And so um, the the dilation is what gives us a good look at what's going on on the inside of the eye. So everyone's pupils are different sizes. Some people have really big pupils naturally, and some people have really, really small pupils. And it's I kind of describe it like trying to look through a hole in a fence. And so if we can get that pupil bigger, we can see a lot better at what's going on on the inside of the eye. Um, unfortunately the dilation does last a few hours and so sometimes that throws a wrench in people's day and and so they don't want to do that they've developed these cameras that take a picture of the inside of the eye um, and they're wide field cameras which means that they take a really good picture of a, a good portion of the inside of the eye and so I wouldn't say it's necessarily a complete replacement for dilation because there are still times where dilation is necessary to get a a good look with our lenses Um, but 
we catch a lot of things on those wide field cameras that we wouldn't be able to undilate it otherwise. So for people that aren't able to be dilated that day, I'm not going to force someone that's not comfortable driving to drive back to Volgar Arlington because our eyes are dilated. Um, But we prefer if there's something going on, we definitely want to get a dilated look at what's going on on the inside of the eye. Okay. Yeah. I had an interesting experience a couple years ago. I um, had LASIK down at Vance Thompson and as part of the planning for all of that they do they look you over real good <laughs> and yeah. so they um they apparently use a really strong dilation drop and uh for most people it sounds like it can most often be a few hours maybe yeah. a day. <laughs> mine hung out for a couple of days right. yep. <laughs> and so i i called down there and they were telling me i have a lighter color iris yeah and that the lighter color iris sometimes responds more to the dilation. <laughs> yeah, that is true. And there are different. So the drops that we use in most like comprehensive exams is a three to four hour dilation. But some of those ones are 12 to 24 hour dilation. And you probably had the long end of that one. Right. And sometimes there is even drops that will dilate your eyes for like a week at a time. And so there are some medical conditions where we want to get a good dilation of the eye and it actually helps with some pain management so having a longer lasting drop is good for some people but we don't like to put those in the eyes just for a regular exam right yeah yeah Yeah. well it's great to have those tools to really see like you said to see what is going on inside the eye yeah uh, to see if anything needs attention more early uh dr knife we had a question come in uh the question is are there updates on macular degeneration What's kind of the latest with macular? Why don't we start with what is macular degeneration and are there improvements or treating that? So macular degeneration, that's one of my least favorite things to manage because we've always been limited in how we treat that. Um, It's kind of one where we monitor, we have some vitamin supplements where we can try to slow things down, but we don't really have good options to cure macular degeneration. So to start macular degeneration obviously is degeneration of the macula and the macula itself is the central line of sight on the inside of your eye so it makes up a portion of the retina which is the lining on the inside of the eye and so when you look at street signs or you're watching tv and you're trying to look at the little words scrolling on the bottom really anything that you're focusing on lands on the macula in the back of the eye and so that's why people with macular degeneration have such a hard time is it takes that portion of your vision that you're so reliant on for this high detailed vision and it makes things kind of bumpy and wavy or distorted or even in bad situations you can completely lose that high definition portion of the of the vision so um, like I said we have ways that we can try to slow that down there's two different types of macular degeneration there's dry and wet and it typically starts as dry macular degeneration and if it switches over to wet that's when we kind of refer you down to a retina specialist Unfortunately, we don't have any of those here in Brookings, but we refer people down to a retina specialist. And sometimes they have to do injections in the eye, which sounds a lot worse than it is. Anytime you hear of a needle Mm -hmm. going to the eye, that's not a a pleasant thought, but it sounds a lot worse than it is. Um, But you can also get bad changes with dry macular degeneration too. And actually the exciting thing about that is just within, I don't remember the exact day, but within the last month or two, the FDA just approved an injection for... um, certain types of dry macular degeneration as well to try to prevent progression of that too. So where it's always just kind of been like, well, let's monitor it and see what we can do. And sometimes we're limited to just trying to help people with um, 
adapting to losing their vision and it's kind of a, a a tough thing to see now we at least have some options where we can try to to slow that down or, or prevent progression of things so yeah macular degeneration um i think in the next few years we're going to have more options for treating those types of things because that is such a big area of research right now because um especially with an aging population it, it's a it's something that is important and we don't have a really good option for treating it right now. So I think it'll get better in the next couple of years. If a patient has macular degeneration, how often are you usually seeing them to kind of manage that? Yeah, it depends on on the stage of their macular degeneration. Um, for people that are just have maybe have a couple of little um, buildups of calcium on the mm -hmm. inside of the macula, we'll watch them every six to 12 months. If we start to see a lot of that, um, we, we like to watch them more closely, even sometimes every three months, just to make sure that we don't see signs of new blood vessel growth because that's when it switches over to wet. So basically the retina sends out this signal, like, okay, things aren't going well in here. So it tries to make new blood vessels to get blood and, and oxygen to the macula, which sounds like it would be a good idea, but those new blood vessels are really leaky. So they leak blood and, mm. and fluid into the macula. And that's what makes it wet macular degeneration. So if we can catch the conversion from dry to wet early, the visual outcome is way better. And so sometimes we'll see those patients every three months just to make sure that um, we're catching those things early if it does switch over. Okay. I'm going to take a break for just a second yeah. and uh, remind our callers, if they have questions for our optometrist today, Dr. Uh, Knipe is here. He's an optometrist. And if you have questions for him, give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about macular degeneration. What are some signs or symptoms we should be aware of uh, if if we're just at home and want to, because it sounds like this is something it is nice to stay on top of if you start yeah. to have some of those symptoms, like, yeah, I should probably go in and get that checked out. Yeah. So um, if the main visual symptom that macular degeneration causes or early macular degeneration can cause would be distortion. So let's say you're looking at your door frame in your house and that door frame that you know is, is perfectly straight. If it starts to have little bumps in it or it looks kind of wavy, um, that's usually a sign of macular degeneration. Sometimes it's hard. People don't think to cover an eye at a time and, and see what, what their vision is like um, because macular degeneration typically affects both eyes, but it can affect each eye differently. And so um, doing a, a quick check, sometimes we'll give patients that were watching for if they're if we're suspicious of macular degeneration we give them a little grid to take home um, and they can do that where they cover an eye and if the grid starts to look like it's getting misshapen or there's spots missing in that grid we have them come in and and do some testing and so if it's something that people are nervous about or they have a family history of macular degeneration and they want to just have something at home to check we've got those grids all over our office and we'd be happy to give you and i think any eye clinic has those uh, yeah. scattered around the office and copies to give out. So that's kind of the best home check right now would be doing something like that. But Okay. Got it. Yeah. So it does perhaps run in families? Yeah. Okay. There are some cases where it's just a, an age-related mm -hmm. change. And so I usually tell people the younger you have relatives that have it, so let's say you're in your mid-60s or you have a relative in their mid-60s and or you have several relatives that have it, 
there's a good chance that there's some sort of genetic component to it. Um, if you had, if your mom or dad got it and they were in their late nineties and they just started having some macular changes, that might not be a, a case of a genetic macular degeneration, but, um, still, if you have a family member with it, it's, it's best just to be diligent about getting things checked. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, I just want to remind our listeners, if you have a question, give us a call at 605-692-1430. Dr. Knipe is an optometrist with Yorkshire Eye Clinic and Optical, and he's here to answer our questions today. 605-692-1430. Dr. Knipe, we are also made aware that it's Workplace Eye Wellness Month. Uh, as we think about our workplaces and how we treat our eyes, I know that's changed a lot recently, uh, or in the last decades, I should say, with all of our screen time and things like that. What are some of the um, things you want to remind us to keep our eyes safe and healthy while we're working? Yeah, I would say even in the last, what is it, three years <laughs> yes. since, the, since the pandemic sure. with all the uh, remote working and all that kind of stuff. So um I think there's two different things that I kind of wanted to talk about with workplace eye wellness. The first would be kind of those um, office-based computer type of jobs where um, maybe you are in an office or a home office or something. Um, Dry eye can be a really uh, tough thing for people to manage. And and it sounds like not a big deal. Your eyes are dry, but some people really have a hard time with with dry eyes and spending time on screens um, or even non-screen time, you know, looking at spreadsheets or, or doing those types of things, your eyes can get dried out over the course of a, of a day. Um, and sometimes just adding a, an over-the-counter lubricating drop, like an artificial tear, is all we need to do to kind of improve the comfort of the eyes. And even the, the, the vision itself, you feel like your vision fluctuates throughout the day and you're always blinking to try to clear things up. Usually that's a, a dry eye type of symptom or as odd as it sounds, if your eyes are watery, um, usually that's your eyes trying to self-correct um, because they're dry. And so um, it's not something that you'd think, you know, it's like my eyes are watery. They're not dry. Mm-hmm. Well, it could be actually a dry eye type of thing. Um, so that's one thing that a lot of um, people suffer with during the workday. The other thing that I get questions about a lot would be um, blue light and the mm-hmm. harmful effects of blue light. So that kind of actually links back to the macular degeneration thing. They're doing a lot of studies right now on whether or not screen time and blue light in general increases the risk of macular degeneration. There hasn't been a whole lot of definitive findings as far as those two things are linked right now, um, but you, blue light blocking uh, anti-reflectives and filters on lenses are a really hot topic right now. And mm-hmm. so um, definitely doesn't hurt anything to have a blue light blocker. A lot of people feel like it makes their eyes feel more comfortable. Um, and where I've seen it in my patient population, a lot of times people will talk about um, it actually helps them to fall asleep faster at night, which is kind mm-hmm. of a, uh, an interesting thing. So a blue light isn't a new thing. There's more blue light that comes off of the sun than that comes off of your computer all day. And so what that blue light does is it, it plays a critical role in your circadian rhythm. And so if you're someone that likes to sit on your phone or your tablet or your computer until right before you go to sleep at night, you're getting a lot of that blue light that is telling your circadian rhythm, okay, it's still daytime. It's not time to go to sleep. You try to put your phone down, it's like, oh, and then I sit there forever and can't fall asleep. <clears throat> so some people that have that blue light filter on their glasses report that they do fall asleep a little bit better if they wear their glasses at night. Um, a lot of devices kind of have that 
built into the the system anymore where it has a night mode and it kind of makes your phone more yellowed or the dim the brightness goes down and so those are all types of blue light blocking but yeah so that's the other thing that i was going to talk about so blue light blocking during the day on the computer um might be a a good a good thing to have in some of those glasses but i think where i've seen it beneficial is some of that nighttime stuff and so i feel like there's a lot of things out on the market for blue light um is there can you just go with anything or is there kind of a hierarchy um when it comes to those there's different quality of um blue light blocking lenses so you could find you could go on amazon right now and find blue light blocking glasses um the frames might not be high end or anything like that but they do have blue light blocking in them and so that's a good option for some people especially the ones that don't really have a glasses prescription but they want to do something to limit that blue light exposure um and then when you get glasses at an optical um there's different quality of of the anti-reflective and blue light blocker so some will last longer some have a better warranty on them or something but Mm -hmm. i think any blue light blocker is is better than none um and sometimes even just having an anti-reflective in general is is better than not having anything like that on your glasses sure yeah all right and then the other one i was going to just mention real quick would be like so we have a lot of people that work at larson and 3m and all those places around here um and so it's not uncommon for eye injuries to happen at work either and so um just the importance of wearing like safety glasses at work um and if you feel like you got something in your eye, I usually say if it doesn't feel like it comes out within a half hour to an hour, it's probably best to come in and, and have an eye doctor take a look at it. Um, it probably got embedded somewhere. Um, it's probably not going to just work its way out on its own. And so sure. the faster we get those out of there, it decreases the risk of infection or scarring or those types of things. So um, that was the other workplace related thing that I was going to mention. Yeah, that's a good good reminder yeah. to wear those. and. Let's talk about sunglasses, too, and the importance of protecting your eyes. As some of us are working out in the sun, too. (laughs) So tell us about that. Yeah. Um, So sunglasses are good. The the UV protection from sunglasses is is a good protection for your eyes in general. Um, Everything from eyelid protection, um, it helps prevent some of those, like, skin cancer type of things. So the better UV glasses you have or the bigger the frame, the more it protects your eyes. Um, but also even as far as like cataract progression, um, macular degeneration has a UV link to it as well. So it's not, not a, a sure thing that if you wear your sunglasses all the time that you're not going to have any of those issues pop up. In fact, cataracts are something that affect everyone no matter what. Um, but it helps to decrease the, the chance of those types of bad things happening and just um, keeping some of that harmful UV light out of the eye. Yeah. yeah, even in our South Dakota winters, it's so especially it's a good idea. in the South Dakota winters. <laughs> yes, I'm sure I'm not alone, but there's days when I'm driving, and that sun coming off of the snow, it's almost right. more blinding than when you're driving in the summer. It's like, oh man, you got to right. have that. So, yeah, I was driving around with my 13 year old son the other day, and he said, "I need a visor for the brown mom, not <laughs> yeah. the not a right. eye. It's just so bright when it reflects off of there, yep. for sure." Well, I want to take a moment here to say thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. We have about 10 minutes left if you want to give us a call with your questions at 605-692-1430, 605-692-1430. 
Our podcast will be loaded soon, so just look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. We're happy to have Dr. Taylor Knipe in the studio with us today. He's an optometrist with Yorkshire Eye Clinic and Optical. So give us a call at 605-692-1430 with your questions. Dr. Knipe, earlier you were talking some about eye drops, specifically for dry eyes. my daughter, she's nine, uh, almost 10. She's uh, at our last eye appointment was told, you know, you have some eye allergies. Let's try some eye drops to help with those eye allergies. What, what causes these eye allergies? And um, is, it, is a drop usually what's needed to help with that? Yeah. Um, so the allergies that you get for seasonal allergies that cause that nasal congestion or sneezing, the same allergies that cause your eyes to get really itchy. Um, and so the, the, na- the nose and your throat are all made up of mucous membranes and your eyeball is too actually. And so it's kind of, they're all linked together. Some people get more eye itch than they do nasal congestion. In those cases, sometimes having an eye specific option where they don't have to take a pill. Some people don't like taking medication more than they have to. And so having a more targeted drop for the eyes is beneficial. I know that I suffer from allergies terribly in the spring and fall. And so I kind of have my allergy drops ready to go. Actually, I'll probably start taking them here towards the end of the month if we ever start to see the snow. Right, right. um, So over-the-counter options for allergy drops have come a long way in the last couple of years, actually. Um, It used to be that we had a couple over-the-counter options. The ones that I would always recommend would be Alloway and Zatador, and they have generic versions of those available. And if those didn't work, we had prescription options and and those tended to be kind of expensive because insurance would say well we have over-the-counter options to make Mm. those work and just a couple years ago the one that was kind of the go-to eye drop prescription for allergies came over the counter and instead of being 115 dollars now it's a 15 dollar drop and it's once a day and it does a really good job of preventing some of those allergy itchiness, redness, those types of things. And so um, it's kind of the same as taking a a Zyrtec or a Claritin. It's just in a drop form. And you can use it two ways. You can use it as needed on days where your eyes feel like they're really bugging you, or you can use it every day to kind of prevent those allergies. So if you know your allergy season runs from April to Memorial Day, let's say, and you wanted to use a drop every day, it's safe to use that way. Or if you want to just use it on those days where where your eyes are bugging you more, that's okay too. So that that one is called Pataday, and they're all over the counter. So Hy-Vee, Lewis, Walmart, any place with a pharmacy is going to have those drops available. So okay, yeah, yeah. So a good idea to just try the eye drop if if you yeah. have, are having those issues. Yeah, we're definitely getting into allergy season here shortly. So right. Yeah. So I was coming in this morning. I heard a few birds singing out there. So oh, they're they must be they're confused. Thinking about spring, but. <laughs> Might might find out it's not spring (laughs) tomorrow. Uh, Dr. Knipe, let's talk briefly about diabetes and how important it is to stay on top of our eye care if we do have diabetes. Yeah, uh, that's a really important thing to me. So partly because I have a lot of family that has been affected by diabetes, but also I feel like it's something that we don't talk enough about the importance of. and even if you go in for your regular exams, your doctor is going to say, when was the last time you had your eye, eye exam? And that's because um, 
it's important to go in and get your eyes checked. When you go in for a diabetic eye exam, a lot of it looks the same as what we do normally. It looks like a, a comprehensive eye exam where we're checking the pressures and we're checking for glaucoma and macular degeneration, all those things. But when you look inside of the eye, especially with that dilation, so if you go in for a diabetic exam, I would just expect to be dilated. Um, but when you go in for those exams, when we look in the back of the eye, there's blood vessels that supply that retina tissue with the blood and oxygen that it needs. And so it's really the only place that we can directly look at blood vessels without having to, to cut you open basically. And so um, what we're looking for is something called diabetic retinopathy. And diabetic retinopathy looks like little hemorrhages or little spots of blood on the retina, or it can look like little signs of, of lack of blood flow. And so what happens is those blood vessels, they don't work as well as they used to at passing oxygen back and forth across the, the blood vessel wall. And so we start to see signs of stress. And if we see those, it's not necessarily a, a sign for panic mm -hmm. right away, but it's just kind of a sign that, okay, we're, we're having some signs of stress here. Um, and we just communicate with your primary care physician, send letters back and forth and say, hey, we're starting to see some of these signs. And maybe that just means that we, we tweak your medication a little bit. But what can happen is if it goes untreated or we don't get things back under control, those signs of stress start to build up. And that same, that same signal that we talked about with macular degeneration that causes the new blood vessel growth, that can happen in diabetic retinopathy as well. And so you can get these new blood vessels that grow and, and that causes a lot of issues. And so um, diabetes is one of the leading cause of, of blindness in, in the American population because a lot of times that's what happens is people kind of wait and, and once they start to have some of those bad vision changes, it's almost too late to try to get things back to how they were. We can try to get, make it as good as we can. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really important for diabetics to go in once a year for their diabetic eye exams, possibly more often depending on how severe the diabetic retinopathy is. But I always say those, those blood vessels in your eye are about the same size as the ones in your, your fingers and your toes and your kidneys, which is where diabetics have a lot of issues. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. if we can get a good look in your eye and your eye looks really good, a lot of times that's a good, a good sign for the blood vessels in the rest of your body and vice versa. If we start to see a lot of those changes, the blood vessels in your eye aren't special. They're, they're the same as the blood vessels in the rest of your body. So it's something that we want to get on top of for sure. So we, we just do a good job of communicating with the primary care physicians or endocrinologists or whoever is managing the diabetes. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Knight, yeah. for being here today and sharing with us about our eye health and some good reminders for us to stay on top of things so yeah. we can prevent things for from getting worse. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up today? No, I don't think so. Thank you for having me, and this was fun. All right. Well, before we go, we hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program, and we'll listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org. And look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Taylor Knipe for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people. 